Welcome to this episode of Catchy Knowledge, where we want more than just fishy knowledge, we want catchy knowledge. Today we get to talk and learn about fishing adventures from someone who didn't grow up fishing, but learned to love it as an adult after his friend introduced him to fishing. Bill Ipema lives in Texas, but he's gone on some big fishing trips with good friends. It's going to be a good interview. But before we get started, I'd like to tell you about this episode's sponsor. Red Letter Living. I know both of the owners, Zach and Allison Zender, and they are both incredible. I'm actually friends for son Brady. They have the 40-day Red Letter Challenge, which is about following Jesus with purpose, the Being Challenge, which is about being more like Jesus, and the most recent one is the Forgiving Challenge. And as the name implies, it's about forgiving. They are the most awesome 40-day challenge books around. Zach and Allison also team up to create kids' versions of these free challenges as well. Churches, small groups, or individuals can benefit from these books. Zach also has a podcast called The Red Letter Disciple, which you should listen to once you're caught up on all my episodes. He also has a website called redletterliving.com. That's redletterliving.com. You can buy his books there. You can also buy discounted church packs or shirts or sweatshirts or other merch. Remember, that's redletterliving.com. Now let's get started. It's always fun to see how I get connected with the people I interview on Catching Knowledge. This time I'm interviewing someone I've never met before. Roger Van was visiting with my mom on a plane. My mom was coming home to Omaha from a conference, and Roger Van was traveling to the College World Series. Roger is friends with this fun fishing fanatic in Texas named Bill Ipema, and the rest is history. Let's listen to Bill's interview. All right, well, let's get started. Thanks for coming on, Bill. Okay. Well, you're welcome, Micah. How and where did you start fishing? That's an interesting story because I started late in life. I sell corporate life insurance, and I met, I met a man that owned a, a very big and prosperous business, and he became a client of mine. And I was at his office one day, and he said, well, I do this trip to Canada every year, and you're going to come. I said, no, 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 no. No, you don't understand. I don't fish. I do other stuff, uh, but I don't fish. And he said, well, if you don't come, I'll find somebody else to take care of my accounts. <laughs> and I, he was just half kidding. But so I said, well, I don't have, I have no clue about fishing. So he gave me a list of stuff because we were going to go to uh, Northern Manitoba. Okay. That's just North of Iowa, Minnesota. And this is above Winnipeg. And uh, we were going to go up there right around Memorial day. So as they say up there, that's when the ice was first going out. So I got on a plane. I flew up to Winnipeg. I had a really good time with all of his buddies. He had about 20 guys that he took on this trip every year. And then we flew from Winnipeg into, uh, it was called Lake of the Woods, I believe, yeah. and took a DC-3. <laughs> okay, this was back in 89 or 90. Yeah, once we got there, it was like a little wasn't a real airport, but they had a landing strip and they had a little place you could sit and two or three at a time got on a float plane and flew over to Bolton Lake, which was about, it was about a half an hour flight. So I was the last one to get on with my host 
once again, I didn't have a clue about fishing. So we get there, it's about 10 o'clock at night. And he says, we're going to go fishing. Well, you know, it's pretty light. The, the sun's still out when you go way up north there. So we went fishing. It was, you know, dusk was coming. I didn't know how to cast or anything, but I caught a bunch of northern pike. I caught northern pike. I caught, I didn't know fish got that big and I was hooked. So that happened pretty late in my life. I was in my 40s when that happened. I'm now in my early 70s. So I started way later than you did. That's pretty cool. Don't you live in Texas now? I do. I live in Austin, Texas. I have an office, my home in Austin, but my main office is in Dallas. Can you tell the listeners what you mainly fish for? I fish for all kinds of stuff. I've been a lot of places in the world. I've been to Panama. I've been to Alaska a couple of times. I did that trip to Canada for probably 12, 15 years in a row. And then every early March, I actually sponsor a little trip on the coast of Texas by Port O'Connor. And we fish for uh, black drum because those big black drum are coming in at that time. And uh, you can catch black drum year round. But the black drum that we're after are from 40 to 80 pounds. And they come in just for about a two-week period of time. And then I have buddies that have lake houses. I fish for crappie. I fish for white bass when they're out there. Um, I mean, I fish for everything. (laughs) I've caught... I've caught most every kind of fish there is to catch. Do you fish for bass a lot? Because there's some pretty good bass lakes in Texas, like Mayburn and Toledo Bend. So for whatever reason, I don't really care if you eat bass. And because I don't care to eat it, I probably don't fish for it much. So I do catch bass. But the last time I caught some, some nice bass was maybe about four weeks ago up in Bob Sandlin Lake. I fished the Texas-Mexican border before it got really rough down there with all the stuff going on. And uh, there was a lake down there that we caught a bunch of really, really big bass. I don't personally care much for bass fishing. I'm more of a saltwater guy. What other kinds of saltwater fish do you fish for? Do you fish like in the Gulf of Mexico for like tuna and jacks or whatever? Yep. You talking amberjack? Yeah. Yeah. I like catching amberjacks. We've rented a boat before in Key West, and we've done what we call the dry tortuga run. So we've gone south and followed the the chain of islands down to the dry tortugas. And at the end, there's an island with like an old historic place. But anyway, the fishing along there is awesome. So, you know, grouper. I like fishing for grouper. Grouper is good to eat, too. I've had a lot of fish, fun fishing for kingfish, king mackerel, because they are so fast. They hit your line so hard, and then they're just, they just scream. And, you know, they're pretty, they're a bigger fish than like banished mackerel. The king mackerel is actually a pretty, pretty big fish, and they're a lot of fun to catch. Sometimes I fish just for sharks, you know, little sharks and I fish with some Vietnamese guys that own businesses and are clients of mine, and they love to eat shark. And so we, we'll, we'll bring some of that shark home. If you catch a shark or catfish, I'm not sure a lot of people know this, but if you catch shark especially, and you're going to keep it and eat it, 
you should put a cut at the back of the tail and bleed it that way. And it's much, much better. And catfish, you should bleed as well. I've only caught one mako shark in my life. And I caught that uh, some years ago. A group of us went to the Tropic Star Lodge in Pinus Bay, Panama. And I caught a 500-pound marlin on that trip, a black marlin. I caught some rooster fish. I also caught some shark. And I, I, I caught a mako. I couldn't believe how fast they were. And uh, the captain of the boat wanted to, us to land that that shark. And, you know, I refused. I said, no, I'm cutting the line. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't want that. Sh- <laughs> it, was, it looked like about a 100-pound shark. <laughs> and I, I let him. I cut the line. I just cut the line. Even those little sharks that we catch, I mean, that, their teeth are sharp as a razor blade. And they're just jumping all over, you know, the boat. What kind of lures do you use for, like, king mackerel and sharks? Or do you use more, like, cut bait for sharks? That's what I watch see on YouTube. Yeah, we typically use cut bait. And for kings, we were using ribbon fish. Ribbon fish are awesome for kings. Kings love them. Saltwater fishing, you can't beat shrimp, of course, right? Shrimp catches all kinds of stuff. Yeah, But the biggest uh, redfish that we catch are typically on crab. And those black drum, we use crab. Have you ever watched Wicked Tuna? I have watched it, yes. That's up in New England. I have a friend that actually caught a really big one up there. Seven, eight hundred pounds. I mean, I think that's, to me, that's a big fish. I caught one. I caught a marlin at 500 pounds. Those marlin get to be about 1,000 pounds. But yeah. those tuna get really, really big. And But I will tell you this. So when I caught the marlin, we had a great captain. Always worked out and that type of thing. I'm in really great shape. So all I did was I cranked. So he kept backing up to the fish. I missed the fish jumping. I was sweating. They were pouring beer over my head because I was in the captain's seat. And, you know, I fought that thing for about an hour and a half, which is like record time. But you don't land those either. No. So I saw my fish and I said, oh, beautiful. You know, I mean, I was dead tired. I've had more fun catching other fish (laughs) because I can watch some jumping and all that type of thing, you know. (laughs) So, yeah, that wicked too. I think you just, I mean, you get back there and you start cranking. You know, you got to. And the captain, you got to have a really good captain that knows how to just keep following the fish. Don't let the fish get too far. So you keep pressure on the fish because you lose any pressure. That's why they're jumping. They're trying to spit the the lure. And uh, yeah, we had quite a few uh, uh, marlin on, but I was the only in our group on that whole trip that caught, caught a marlin. And so part of that is good luck, you know. I just put my head down and just cranked for about an hour and a half. And a couple guys said, well, you want us to take over? I said, I oh, know, this is my fish. I'm going to land this fish if I can. Yeah. So. It sounds like you've traveled a lot of places and fished. Where are some of your fish? Yes. I love fishing in Alaska. You can fish the Sea of Alaska. So out of, out of Anchorage, you can catch halibut down there. You can get on a boat and you catch that halibut. 
the, the times I've gone, it's about three, 400 feet down. And since I've been doing it, you can only keep two. So they say, they tell you, well, if you don't, if, if the first one that you catch or the second one's not big enough, you can fish, you can go for another one. But I'm going to tell you, I did that. I did that the first time I went halibut fishing. The first one was only about 50 pounds. And I'm thinking, you know, there's no big deal. I want some bigger. I went down, the next fish I caught was about the same size, but I decided to keep that because I was getting a little tired. The third fish I caught, maybe 10 pounds bigger, but I could barely, I'm telling you, barely. And I'm a guy that works out and all that type of thing, but you had a five-pound ball on there, and the third halibut, they say it's like bringing up plywood. Well, this is plywood that was moving around quite a bit. <laughs> nope. <laughs> and I, I had to bring that fish up. So, but then once you go halibut fishing, you, you send that, send the fish to your house. You give them a date that you'll be back. And then we went up north. We fished with the Thomas family and Evelyn Thomas was actually the chief of her village. And so you could, you could get king salmon, uh, mid June to mid July. You get sockeye, that's that red salmon, yeah. like June to August, or chum salmon, that's, you know. But what I liked was the silver run. That's July through September. So, And then we caught sea fish up there. Yeah, she fish. It's S-H-E-E-F-I-S-H. It's like, and that's the only place that you can catch it other than Russia. So, you know, Alaska is pretty close to Russia. But those chief fish, they were big and uh, had a lot of white meat. But I'm going to tell you, during that salmon run, your guide's job is to stand on shore with a rifle and protect you from bear. That's his job. And your job is to catch fish. And I'll tell you what, you'll catch 100 fish a day. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Wow. So, yeah, you'll get so sick of catching salmon. And then they'll take you up some of those little creeks and stuff. They use those those engines that don't have the prop. I don't know what they call those. It's like some kind of jet engine, but it can push you through like a couple inches of water. So they, they get up in some of those back creeks and you catch those dolly vardens and grayling and stuff like that. It's actually very cool fishing up there. And then, you know, when you, when you land, when you fly into uh, Anchorage, if you ever go up there, Get a seat on the right side of the plane because it always comes in the same way. And you might, on a clear morning, see what used to be called Mount McKinley. I still like to call it McKinley. The mountains are so beautiful. And you, I mean, that's one nice thing about fishing to me is nature. There's so much nature around you. And everywhere you go around the world fishing, you see different kinds of birds. You know, you see different kind of trees. Some places it's palm trees. Up in Alaska, you know, it's mainly fir trees and stuff like that. Uh, you got to almost, you got to believe in a guy because he's painted a picture for you. That's just amazing. And that's part of the joy of fishing, I think. So I really like that. I like fishing our coast right here because I like redfish. There's some great fishing in Louisiana. I've gone down there and, and fished for redfish and trout this year when we went down for our black drum trip after you've caught like five six 
they average probably 40 to 50 pounds, but they get as big as 70, 80 pounds. So you're catching like four or five of those. That's a lot of work, right? So then you take a break and you hit the jetties and, uh, and we fish for, for reds. This year, for whatever reason, we only caught one keeper red uh, under 28 inches. They were just all big bull reds. We're catching a lot of bull reds. Now, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. You can't keep them, can't eat them, but, but it was a lot of fun. So I think we started fishing at Port O'Connor back in 94, that, and we do it every single year. We've lost three guys, have passed away, and we've done a service on the water for them while we spread ashes, which is a moving tribute, but these are dear friends of ours. Well, you know you like to fish. Those people become some of your best friends over your life. Yeah. And so I've, I've fished with some of the same guys all over the world. One of them happens to be, you know, Vietnamese. I talked about him earlier. We had a boat together that we kept over at Freeport. We had a lot of fun. The one place that I haven't been that I, I think I would like to go is the Galapagos. So that's off the coast of Ecuador. Between where the Galapagos are and Ecuador, some of the best bill fish fishing in the world is there. I mean, I've been told. Uh, we looked into it. We almost did it once, and then one of those people I was telling you about that was part of our group got really sick and passed away, and we just never have talked about going back because we were going to go with him, and he's no longer with us. But one of these days, I think we'll probably end up going there, and I, I would look forward to that. I wouldn't mind spending a little bit of time right on the island either. You know, I mean, part of fishing is, the adventure around it, and just the joy of being with people that you really like. I only invite people on these trips that I really like. The fishing is like a gift from God, and everything around you is also a gift from God. And then the fellowship that you have with, you know, your fishermen buddies. <laughs> you, know, you add all those things together, and it, it just makes for just an amazing adventure. And to do that in all parts, of, all different parts of the world, there's nothing like it. People should try it because they would like it. <laughs> My little brother would probably want to go to the Galapagos Island, Islands just to see the penguins or whatever. Yeah, and they have those big turtles there, right? Or turtoys, turtoys. I, I think can't they're remember. Called. Do you have any favorite fishing stories? Well, I have a ton of them. I think the most fun that we had as a group this was years ago, and I was up in Canada, and the guide would take you around the lake and show you, you know, all the great things there. But you could also, if you wanted, outpost experience. So one year, we actually brought a chef. So we got up there, they put us on another float plane, and they just, they, they took us to this outpost. So it was just us. We didn't know our way around. We had a little map of it. So we had to discover everything ourselves. And we had to provide our own food, everything. And on that trip, actually, we, I mean, that is one time I saw the Northern Lights. <laughs> it was just, it was amazing. If you've never seen the Northern Lights, just, it's really something to see. Anyway, I think being out there 
by ourselves, the plane, when the plane left, you realize that you're, you're here by yourself. Of course, most of us are hunters as well as fishermen. So we were properly armed in case bear or something came into our camp. Never had to use our firearms ever, but you should always come prepared. One of our guys got hooked in the head by his brother with one of those treble hooks. And that was kind of tricky. I knew what to do. So if you do get hooked with a, tre a treble hook, just bring that hook through and you should always have cutters. But I knew that. So I had cutters in my, my tackle box and then you cut it and then you can pull it out. Everybody has a first aid kit. We always bring first aid kits. Could have been on like a survival show or something. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like a survival show. They just sort of fly you in. There's your cabin. They don't even get out of the plane and show you around. <laughs> they give you a map of the place. There's a couple boats there. There's an outhouse. Because, <laughs> you know, there's no, <laughs> and there's no electricity or any of that kind of stuff. Do you have any advice for me as a young fisherman? If you're going to go any, any place and fish, you should ask around and find a good guide. If you go to LA or South Beach and places like that, they just want you to spend like $1,500, $2,000 for the boat. They don't care if you catch any fish, right? You don't need the fancy boat. What you want is to catch the fancy fish, right? Yeah. So, yeah, find a good guide, and then you can set the quadrants on your phone. I ask them if they mind, and they normally say no. And so the next time I go, uh, we can run a boat or something, and we, we know where to go because a really good guide's taking us different places. And I would also tell you that if you get a chance, Venice, Louisiana, Venice, Louisiana, is a great place to go fishing. Okay, the fishing down there is unbelievable. The redfish, the trout. So you should try and do an Alaska trip. I do the Louisiana trip. And then as a young guy, I would try and do as much salt water as you can because you can always go bass fishing where you live, right? Yeah. And I would also say that as you get busier, maybe play football and stuff, always, always, Find some time to be with your buddies and go fishing. And there's something about your fishing buddies. They're special guys. I mean, a lot of the guys I, I still fish with are guys that I've fished with now for over 20 years. I really like these guys. They make it fun. We have a really good time. We, we have some rules, but they're not, they're not that hard to, hard to follow. We don't want people getting drunk and all that kind of stuff on our trips. Okay, that, that's not what we're out there to do. We're out there to really have a great time, but you don't need to get snockered to have a good time. Now, we're not saying you can't have a couple drinks and a cigar here and there, but we're just saying don't get, get drunk. Might be the last time you get invited. That's, that's how we roll. I will tell you one last story. Okay, so we're in Port O'Connor, Texas. I had two of my sons-in-law down there with us, and the last day we were supposed to fish, we knew that a front, they call them northerns here, a northern was coming through. You could see it on the weather system, but we thought we had it until about 2 o'clock before we'd have to pack it in, and then the next day we were going to go home. There's a bay between Port O'Connor and an, and an island. Uh, it's called Decros, 
and you have the jetties over there. So your your big boats come through those jetties. And then there's, I don't know, about two miles from the jetties to the jetties right there in Port O'Connor. And then you have an inland waterway and all these boats with uh, oil and gas and that kind of stuff come up and down that intercoastal highway, they call it. We went out early that morning. The wind kicked up. We were actually fishing. We called it the honey hole. Big fish were coming out of the gulf through the jetties into those bays. Okay? Anyway, there were two boats fishing there. We saw that thing coming, and the guy I was with, he had his had his grandson, who was probably about your age at the time. So we decided to take off and to seek shelter further down, and we suggested that they do the same because this thing's coming. It's coming fast. We went about a mile, and, and the wind came. It got really cold, and it just rained, rained, rained. Okay, well, those guys were a little slow getting out of there. And that was in the days when we rented boats down there. You can't rent boats anymore. And they had like a flat bottom boat. So they were having trouble. They wanted to get all the way back to the jetties at Port O'Connor. So they had to go about two miles. Well, they they didn't get that far. They somehow were able to get the boat up up on that island. And uh, they were freezing. It was really cold. That's what a northern is. So they found a little Quonset hut and they started a fire. Well, one of the guys that was with him was with the Coast Guard. He was a young guy with the Coast Guard. His dad was fishing with him and one of my sons-in-law. Well, they started this fire to just warm up. And then he called the Coast Guard and said, you know, we can't get out of here. Can you send somebody to get us? Because there was no way anybody could come get him. There was no way. You needed the Coast Guard. So the Coast Guard said, well, yeah, it's very windy. So where you're calling from is a bird sanctuary. So do not start a fire. Oh, okay. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We won't start a fire. Well, they'd already started a fire, right? (laughs) To stay warm. (laughs) And they kept the fire going. So when the Coast Guard did come, they brought a big cutter, which means that it couldn't get very close to the island. So... They left all their stuff, those three guys. They had a cooler that they used. There were, there were two fish in the cooler. They were more interested in saving the fish and getting to the Coast Guard cutter. So they, they swam using the, the cooler, and they had to go about 100, 200 yards. They got rescued. We, we'd all gotten back. And so we saw them come off the Coast Guard cutter. We we got messages that from them on our phones that said that they were in trouble and they called the Coast Guard and all that kind of stuff. So there was nothing that we could do. We couldn't go back and get them. So later, as it's getting dark, you can see there's a huge fire over there. And so everybody thought they call that place Bird Island. It was a bird sanctuary. So everybody figured that they'd started a fire, a big fire. And it was burning Bird Island, a national bird sanctuary. So, so the Coast Guard called the young man that's, that's in the Coast Guard and said, did you fellas start a fire there? Yes, sir, we did. We started a fire, but I swear we put that fire out. We were in that Quonset hut. We put it out. 
And the Coast Guard said, well, it looks like you started a fire over there on Bird Island. Well, anyway, those guys got pretty nervous. They could see themselves in prison for five years, you know, burning down a bird sanctuary. Well, come to find out, we find out the next morning, there's an island right behind it. And that island had caught fire, but it had nothing to do with them because they had been in that quantity. They had actually put the fire out and all that type of thing and and uh, no longer needed to worry about the federales coming and arresting them. And, and while well, you started a fire in a bird sanctuary, what were you guys thinking? So we got them caps, and every year they come and they wear the caps about burning down Bird Island. <laughs> That's a pretty good story, don't you think? They were calling their wives and saying, you need to call an attorney and blah, blah, blah. I was laughing, but I was a little worried because one of them was my son-in-law. The other two were good friends of mine. But boy, 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 everybody in town thought that we had burned down Bird Island. Wow. We didn't. (laughs) No, the whole town. We went out to dinner later, and everybody's looking at us like, there's those guys right there. Because you could could see the fire, and it looked like it was Bird Island. It was right, right there. Even the the person that we rented the boats from called us and said, "Did you, did you fellows? Are you the fellows that started that fire over there? And is my boat still over there? <laughs> yeah, your boat's still over there." And so the next morning, we we took one of the boats and went and got the boat, and you know, a couple thousand dollars worth of fishing tackle, right? <laughs> they yeah. just left it there, but they kept the two fish in the cooler. You know, they had their priorities right. <laughs> Time for some rapid-fire questions. We should be quick. Favorite fish to catch? Grouper. Favorite fish to eat? Ling for halibut. Favorite place to fish? Port O'Connor and Alaska. It's a tie. Braid, mono, or fluorocarbon? Spider wire. Favorite lure to fish with? Shrimp, which isn't a lure. But I would say Johnson Minnow probably catches as much stuff as anything. Or you can't beat a jig, right? <laughs> yeah. Since you're from Texas, yeah. Longhorns, Aggies, or Bears? Longhorn. I've been in the Longhorn Foundation for years. So I was at the National Championship Games. I didn't go to Omaha this year, but... I actually went to one of the games. I oh, actually, you did? Awesome. I actually live in Omaha. Oh, yeah. You live in Omaha, huh? Yeah. For a college world well, series. good for you. Are you a Nebraska fan? Uh, yeah, but we're in a slump, I guess. I know. Well, Texas is too. Yeah. And Texas didn't do too well at the World Series, but that's okay. I mean, they made it. I I think thirty eight times that they've been to the College World Series. I think that might be number one out of all the colleges now. Time for our last question. If you could go anywhere in the world, what would your dream catch be? I think I'd just go back to Port O'Connor, and I probably have a, I have a lot of fun at Port O'Connor. It's accessible, and I love catching those black drum, and then, you know, catching sheephead and out, and there's such a variety. So I'd, I'd say I've already, my dreams come true. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, re, I relive it every year. Well, thanks for coming on. You're welcome, uh, and good luck to you. You know, get around the world. Uh, there's so many beautiful places 
I fished in Ireland and all kinds of places around the world. And uh, I've told you about my favorite places. So uh, you'll, uh, you'll end up having some of your favorite places too. And there's nothing like fishing. And share it with somebody. That's all for this episode of Catching Knowledge. Thanks for tuning in. If you would leave a rating or review of my podcast, I'd be really grateful. I'd also like to thank Bill Ipema for doing the interview and his friend Roger Van for connecting him. Finally, I want to give you a little sneak peek to make sure you tune into our next episode. I can't believe I even get to say this, but our next episode is bass fishing legend Shaw Grigsby. I had an absolute blast talking with him. I can't wait for you to hear from Shaw. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next time on Catching Knowledge. Psst.